Four houses, one God. This word tabernacle that is found in Revelation 21 and 3 is an Old Testament word. It's a Hebrew word. And that word, um, I looked it up to see if there's any special meaning or any spiritual meaning, but all it means, Rebecca, is a tent. It's a tent. Anybody ever gone camping? Most of you. Have you ever been successful at getting the tent back in the bag that it came in? If you have, you're smarter than I am. Uh, most of that camping equipment, I spent my career in camping buying bigger and bigger stuff to put it in after I got it out. Just folding it back up was, was difficult. Tabernacle means tent. It's a temporary dwelling. You go camping, it's something fun to do. It's, uh, it's interesting. But that's not typically where most people live. And yet the tabernacle which existed basically from about 1450 B.C. to 1000 B.C., the tabernacle was where God chose to dwell with the people of Israel. It was a temporary dwelling. If you look at the, uh, the, the, the artist's rendering here, the tabernacle, it, it had a, a series of, of poles that they could take, and so it was a pole tent. And what they did is when the children of Israel would come and they would camp somewhere, they would, they would set up these poles around, and then there was a central portion of it that was called the holy place. And it was a temporary dwelling that God used to meet with his people. On the outside of it, it didn't look that great. It was, it was um, uh, there, there's different versions of, of, of what kind of skins were used. Some people think it was sea otters, and some people think it was badgers, because some of the names that they had for animals are not the same as what we had. But suffice it to say, it was covered on the outside by skins. And so it kind of looked like uh, uh, somebody maybe from East Tennessee or the Ozarks. There, you know, it was or uh, 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 a time of like French trappers in the West. It looked like a, a structure like that. It wasn't beautiful on the outside. And yet on the inside, there was about $22 million worth of gold furnishings. And that was just the gold alone, not the silver and other things that were used in the tabernacle. I want to pause and make a point here in terms of the tabernacle plan that God had. What the church looks like to the outsider is not as important as the value that is contained within the place where God meets with people. Your life may not look like in terms of your relationship with God, it may not look all that special to someone outside. But we're not trying to compete with what outsiders may look like, but it may look like to them. What we're trying to understand is we need to meet with the Lord who sits on the mercy seat. And what's important is what's inside the tabernacle, not necessarily the way it looks to the outside. If you want to get on the wrong side of me, start talking about the church and start talking about the people of the church and start running down the church because I understand some people, they don't like the church or they say, oh, there's hypocrites in the church or there's, there's this and there's that and, and this person hurt me in 1973 and, and I, I understand there are things that happen and sometimes the church may not look great to you from the outside looking in, but I've got news for you. There's gold inside the place where God meets with his people. There's value where God meets with his people. And the tabernacle where God meets with us is a special place. It's a holy place. It's a valuable place. And once you get inside it, you understand that. Amen? We're not competing on aesthetics. We're competing on presence. 
We're not competing on architecture. We're competing on peace. We're not competing on, on, on real estate property. We're competing on the presence of the Lord. It's drab and plain on the outside, but it was beautiful on the inside. Most of you know, if you've grown up in church and had Sunday school lessons or Bible studies about the tabernacle, there were three main areas of focus for the approach to God. And one of them was the brazen altar. And you see that it's the little red looking uh, structure there uh, to the left of the, the lower left of the picture there. And what you see is that brazen altar was the first thing that you confronted when you came to access the presence of God. I want to make an unequivocal statement here today because there's a lot of retail religion around that says that basically Jesus is an augmentation pack for the life you already want to live and he just makes everything a little bit better. He's, he's a little bit more like a nerve pill to help you sleep at night or he's a little bit more like an energy pill to get you started in the day or, or he allows you to, to somehow become favored in a way that makes you better or makes you more. And, and, and I do believe that God came to give us life and life more abundantly. But the very first thing that has to happen when you and I encounter our God is we have to die out to ourselves, and we have to die out to our will and we have to sacrifice who we think we want to be in order for God to rule in our lives the very first thing that you encounter in the tabernacle plan is a place of repentance now forgiveness is coming to those who repent but if you and I think that we're just going to somehow live the life that we want to live and always do what we want to do and always have our way then we don't understand anything about how God approaches humanity because the very first First thing that you need and the very first thing that I need the thing that we need is to give our will over to the Lord to give our will over to him and to sacrifice our understanding for his sovereignty amen the next thing that you met was a, a, a laver and so there was a, a place to wash and this is also typical of baptism in the Old Testament we see New Testament realities they are concealed. And in the New Testament, we see Old Testament realities that are revealed. This, this labor was a place to be cleansed before the priest walked into the holy place and the holy of holies. And in that holy of holies, there was, as you know, the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of that covenant was the mercy seat. At that mercy seat, there were two angels on top and their wings stretched out. And they looked down at the Ark of the Covenant. And they looked down at the miraculous provision of God as was typified by the manna. They looked down at the miraculous ministry of God as was typified by Aaron's rod and they looked down at the miraculous government of God that was typified by the law that was the two tablets that Moses had and they didn't look at each other but they looked down would you permit me some license today to just say that you and I as we're focusing on the beautiful covenant that God has given us we may not always see eye to eye but if we will touch our wings together we can make a place where God's presence will dwell. I don't need to agree with you on everything to be in unity with you. I don't need to always agree with what you say in order for us to have something together where God can bless and God can move. God forbid that we become so political. God forbid that we become so opinionated. God forbid that we become so self-absorbed that we can't get along and get together and get unified and allow mercy to flow in God's house because that is his desire. He desires to be with his people he desires to move in his people and he desires to do his work oh god help me to never prevent mercy from flowing in the house of god because i'm not unified with somebody and i can't i can't see eye to eye with him my god scott you and i have got to get along at least enough for somebody to receive mercy we may not agree about everything 
But we've got to walk in unity. We're not eye to eye, but we can be wing to wing. You understand what I'm saying? Not eye to eye, but wing to wing. It's a type of our salvation experience today. The altar, the laver, and the holy of holies. In John 1, John the Baptist preached repentance. It was death to self. That's the altar. But in John 3, Jesus said, after you've died, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again of the water and of the Spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. And if we're going to enter in the kingdom of God today, it's the same. We need to die to self through repentance. And then we go down in the water in the precious name of Jesus. And then we get to be filled with that glorious Holy Spirit that fills us to overflowing. Peter gave that truth at Acts 2.38. It's a beautiful typology. But I have a problem with the tabernacle. Even though it was given by God, Here's my challenge with the tabernacle. Only the priest could enter. And he could do all these sacrifices. But he only got to go into the holy place, the holy of holies, once a year on the day of atonement. That was the problem with the first house that God dwelled in. Four houses, one God. But this one God could only access one man on one day in one place. And that was the limitation of the tabernacle plan. But I'm here to tell you that God had a better plan. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. The tabernacle was set aside. 450 years it served. But David says, I'm here dwelling in a house of cedar. And God, you're dwelling in a a tent. Now I want you to notice something here. God gave Moses specific instructions to build the tabernacle. But Mary, I have searched the scriptures and I can't find where God ever told David to build a temple. I can't find where he told him to do that. In fact, Candace, he actually said, you're going to build me a house? He said, I didn't ask you for a house, but I'll build you a house. In other words, he said, I, 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 didn't, I didn't command you to do this. I didn't give the instructions. Look at the book of Exodus. If you're reading your one-year Bible, you get to that part and I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's not as exciting as the Beatitudes because it goes on and on and on about the instructions, just to be honest. And God was very specific about the tabernacle plan. But the temple, he didn't tell David how to build it. But David collected all those materials and Solomon was able to build it. Let me tell you something. Our approaches to God do reflect our culture. David wanted to build a temple, Jay, because he, built, he had a house. He wasn't itinerant anymore. He wasn't a nomad. And he wanted God to have a nice place to live in like he had a nice place to live in. That's one of the reasons why we enjoy beautiful structures for churches and all of that. Let me tell you guys, if we were in the middle of a field, God would meet with us the same way. If we had wet hair running down our face and we were standing there in umbrellas, God will still meet with us. But we have a nice building because it's part of our culture. But God's truth transcends our cultural approaches. There is a truth in the house of God that is bigger than the square footage. There's a truth in the house of God that is bigger than our service format. There is a truth in the house of God that's bigger in whether we sing three songs or two songs, or whether we sit together in family pods because of COVID, or whether we sit in a different arrangement. Because although our culture may inform the way that we approach God, there is a presence of the Lord that longs to be with his people and if he can't move through it he'll move around it because he's determined to get to his people he's determined to be with his people he's determined to bless us Solomon builds a temple there's no record of divine instructions for its dimensions but it is a wonder of architecture artistry and beauty it took seven years to construct and whereas the tabernacle contained 13 million dollars worth of gold in our contemporary culture Listen to this, Solomon's temple 
had $22 billion worth of gold. $200 billion, $200 billion of silver, plus the bronze, plus the ivory. The, the temple was a beautiful, beautiful place. It was the finest temple that man could build. But can I tell you today, if we had a $22 billion or $222 billion building fund, I'd love it, I wouldn't turn it down. But I didn't come here to Arlington, and you didn't come here to Arlington to build the finest church that humans can build. We came here to build the church that God wants to build. And we came here to build the congregation that he wants. And that means that not everybody's going to look like you. And not everybody's going to think like me. And not everybody's going to be the same. And not everybody's going to come from the same background. But I believe that God wants to move among us. And we can be the church that he wants to be. Psalm 127 and 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they that build it labor in vain. I want everything that we do to be a reflection of what God is doing. I want everything that we have to be a reflection of what he wants. At the dedication of this house, which was beautiful, something even more beautiful happened. The glory of the Lord filled the temple in a cloud, 1 Kings chapter 8, and the priests were not even able to stand and minister. I don't know if you've ever been part of a service where the worship service became so powerful and so wonderful that, that the minister didn't even stand up to preach because people were just worshiping the Lord and the Lord was ministering among the congregation. And that hasn't happened yet at Arlington United, but it's going to happen. I'm gonna prophesy that right now. God is going to move us in, on us in such a way that the worship is gonna overwhelm us and the Lord's gonna help us. And, and there's gonna be a day when the sermon's not even given because the glory of the Lord is gonna fill the house. It's gonna be a wonderful day. I'm looking forward to it. And, and, you know, if you get tired of the sermon, you could, you could just continue to worship, you know, and, and, and it might, might happen. That's just, just a Pentecostal tip for those of you that are not pros, maybe. Work on that. The, the, the glory that the Lord filled the house, it was in advance over the tabernacle. Why? At the tabernacle, Jay, the cloud was above the tabernacle. But at the temple, the cloud filled the tabernacle. It's one thing to be around the presence of the Lord, but I don't want the presence of the Lord just to be above me, even though it leads me and guides me and provides for me. I hunger to have the presence of the Lord inside my temple. I hunger to have the presence of the Lord leading me from within, working within me. The cloud came inside the tent. That's the second house. The third house was Zerubbabel's temple. And here you see Zerubbabel's temple from 516 B.C., to 70 AD. The first Solomon's temple, the so-called first temple, was destroyed by the Babylonian army in 587 BC. And you see that Zerubbabel's temple was built 70 years later. You'll find that story in Ezra and Nehemiah, how the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt and the temple was also rebuilt. This is the period of history known to religious scholars as Second Temple Judaism. It's called the Second Temple because it was after Solomon's temple. Ezra chapter 3 records its dedication, and it was beautiful, and it was architecturally pleasing, but it didn't have $222 billion worth of stuff in it. And the Bible says that when the people who knew what was before saw it, that they wept because its glory was not like the other temple. But there was a prophecy that was hanging over. There was a prophecy that was hanging over that temple and over God's interaction with humanity that says the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. 
The glory of the second house will be greater than the glory of the first house. I want to tell you something, that even though some people live their life in the rearview mirror and they're looking back to bygone days and they think those are the times when everything was better or maybe their family was better or maybe their health was better or maybe their finances were better or maybe they they even had a, a better walk with God in their terms of how they perceived their religious experience and the closeness and, and the intimacy with the Lord. We don't have to live that way. We can live in in, an expectation that what God is doing right now and what he wants to do today is the greatest day for your family. It's the greatest day for your life. It's the greatest day for the church because if you have the presence of the Lord, then you have God's best in your life and he can work and move through you. Beautiful. It became a source of pride for the Jewish people under Persian and then Roman occupation. But national pride and convenience in that third house came to dominate the ritual worship of the Jewish people. You'll find that by the time Jesus came to the second temple in John chapter 2 and in Luke chapter uh, 19 and Matthew chapter 21 and in Mark chapter 11 uh, verse 17 that there was a place outside and the court of the Gentiles and it was a place where Gentiles and women could go and they could pray they couldn't go inside and before we criticize and say oh they were they were racist or they were they were ethnicist or they were sexist please keep in mind that this was a tremendous advance over the cultures that were around them they made provision for everyone to pray no matter what their gender was they made provision for everyone no matter what their nation of origin was to seek God and to seek his house But in that place, it was designed for the outsider to get closer to God. There was something that was going on. The insiders were trading in lambs. They were trading in turtle doves and they were exchanging money. And you couldn't even hear the prayers of the people. And you couldn't hear yourself think because there was, you know, one over here like an auctioneer. Who will give me five? Who will give me ten? Who will give me seven? Give me eight. Give me nine. And somebody's over here. I'll give you this denarii for this and this and this. And they were doing business in the house of God. And it made Jesus is so angry that he got a whip and he destroyed those tables and he drove them out because echoing the prophecy of Isaiah 56 or Jeremiah 7 he said the house of the Lord should be called a house of prayer he said my house shall be a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves I want to admonish us as a church today let's not get too comfortable with our religious experience and the way that we think it ought to be done and the way that we think it ought to go so that we keep the outsider from getting close to God. If somebody comes in and they need the Lord, let's just put song service aside for a minute if we have to. If somebody needs to come down the front and maybe they're not dressed appropriately and maybe they're not even dressed modestly, but let's 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 ignore that for a moment and let's get in there and let's pray with that person and let's let them get a hold of God. Let's make sure, let's make sure that the outsider's got a place to come. Let's make sure that nobody comes in and, 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 and they're alone or they're outcast or, or they feel like that, that we're judging them in some way there'll be plenty of time there'll be plenty of time for judgment the bible says that judgment begins at the house of the lord but first they got to get a hold of the love of god and then god will do all the judging god will do what needs to be done god will help them live a holy life and we'll have time for discipleship and teaching but let's make sure that the outsider has got a place to go in god's house amen it was this temple that jesus and the disciples were visiting when jesus said in john chapter 2 You can destroy this temple, but in three days, I'll raise it up. They couldn't believe it. They said, three days? It took our fathers so many many months and so much time to build this temple. And and, and you say, you'll tear it down and destroy it in three days. But the, the Bible says that they may not have understood it right then. 
but they understood later after he was resurrected that he wasn't talking about stone and he wasn't talking about mortar and he wasn't talking about marble and he wasn't talking about gold he wasn't talking about silver because after a tabernacle in the wilderness after a 222 billion dollar gold and marble and bronze and silver palace that Solomon built for him after a second temple that was raised by people who weren't wealthy but they gave what they had because they were people in exile but they wanted a place to meet with God after all of that those three houses did not satisfy the God of this universe and Jim he looked down from heaven and God said I don't want to be just in pillars of marble but I want bones and I want limbs I don't want just silver and gold but I want muscle and I want blood I don't want just silk and tapestries but I want sinews and I want tendons I don't want just walls and rooms but I want open eyes and I want a beating heart and I want hands and I want arms that I can wrap around people I want ears that I can listen to people with I want eyes that I can see people with because I've been in three houses and yet I haven't redeemed my people I've been in three houses and I've been close to them but not close enough I've been in three rooms but nobody has gotten close enough to me because sins have not yet been remitted but John says in, in verse 1 of his great gospel in chapter 1 he says in the beginning was God and the word was with God and the word was God verse 14 it says that word was made flesh and it dwelled among us it wasn't a house made with with carpentry but it was a temple made by Mary and the Holy Spirit and the Bible teaches us in, in, in 1 Timothy 3 that God was manifest in the flesh. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was seen of angels and he was received into glory. Jesus said it this way. That's why he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Because the Spirit of Almighty God was incarnate in Jesus Christ, revealing himself unto us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I believe today that it wasn't enough for God to be in a tabernacle. It wasn't enough for him to be in a beautiful temple or even a restored temple. God wanted to be with us. Because you and I couldn't make it to be like him. So Harrison, he stepped off heaven's throne and he became like us. He wanted to be, he wanted to be next to us. And so God indwelled Christ but Jesus didn't just become incarnate to reveal that God could dwell in only one person I'm happy to report to you that God didn't stay in the tabernacle he didn't stay in Solomon's temple he didn't stay in Zerubbabel's temple and on the day of Pentecost God proved that he did not just want to be incarnate in Jesus, but he wanted that very presence that lived inside of Jesus and animated him to be poured out on every one of us. And God's last house is you, and God's house is me. Paul said, do you not know that your bodies are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. You are created to be the tabernacle of God's presence. When you lift your hands and you worship Him, that's why the goose flesh comes. It's not just an emotional charge. It is the very presence of God that filled that house in 1 Kings. It fills our bodies when we open our mouth and begin to praise Him. When we are filled with the same Spirit that fell on the apostles in the book of Acts, we have the indwelling presence of the Lord of hosts. Jesus prophesied it. Repentance and remission of sins will be preached in my name beginning at Jerusalem. This foretold two-thirds of the Acts 238 message that Peter preached. And then Jesus said, go and tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. This was the capstone of the day of Pentecost experience, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's not a nebulous, unnoticeable process that just comes when you have a cognitive acknowledgement that Jesus is the Savior. But the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a cataclysmic, identifiable experience that changes the believer forever. It enables us to rejoice with Paul when he proclaims that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It causes us to say amen when Peter testifies that we are living stones, a tabernacle made living unto God. Four houses, one God. Four buildings, four ways of dealing with humanity. But I thank God that I don't have to wait for the Day of Atonement. And I don't have to listen for the bells on the priest's garment to see if the atonement sacrifice has been satisfied and I can make it one more year. I don't have to go to Solomon's temple and bring a lamb out of my flock and bring it to God and say, I'm going to roll my sins ahead for another year. I don't have to sit at Zerubbabel's house and listen to all the cacophony of people trading for money and this and that and try to press my way through that throng in order to have some kind of spiritual experience with Jehovah. But I can lift my hands and I can say, Lord, I need you to deal with me today. And everybody can go in. Everybody has the same right. Peter said, it's for whosoever will as many as the Lord our God shall call. Stand with me today. We're not wandering in the desert waiting for the Day of Atonement. We aren't celebrating at Solomon's temple. It was raised by Babylonian charioteers. We could today go to Jerusalem to the Wailing Wall and we could pray. But the sacrificial system that was represented by that temple has been replaced by a new and better covenant. Read the book of Hebrews. We're living in a better world today. We can access the presence of God. He's made a way for His Spirit to live inside of us. Why did God want a tabernacle built? Why did He visit Solomon's temple? Why did He come to Zerubbabel's temple? Because He wanted to be with us. He wanted to be with His people. Why did the people stand outside the tabernacle entrance? Why did they crowd into Jerusalem to worship at the temple? Because they wanted Dale to encounter God. Our lives are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are to honor Him. Our minds are to be yielded to Him. Our mouths are to glorify Him. Why? Listen to me. Listen. Somebody in your pathway this week needs the Lord. Somebody needs that forgiveness that was represented by the mercy seat. Somebody needs that deliverance that the temple of God represented. If you are a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, if you have been filled with His presence, then Candace, your job and my job is to be a place where people can come and they can find the presence of Jesus. They ought not be able to come to our driveway or come into our house for a meal when all this COVID stuff is over, Jay, and walk away without feeling the presence of God. They ought not to see you on the job, Marcia, and you do a business transaction 
and them not walk away and say, there's something different about that girl, something different about her. Willie, when somebody sees you on your street, there's something different about you now because you've been baptized in Jesus' name. You are a place where God lives. You're a place where his presence visits. And that means that anybody that comes in contact with you is at the temple. Anybody who comes in contact with you is at the tabernacle because God is not just in one house anymore. God's in 20 houses this afternoon inside this room. And all over this planet, every person who's been filled with His Spirit is a tabernacle of the living God. How many, how many, how many want the Lord to be at home in His house? We say that about the church gathering. But Preston, he needs to be at home every day in his house. This thing that you and I bathe, this thing that we shave in the morning, this, this thing that we put clothes on, tabernacle. It's God's fourth house. Alexander, it's the place where he lives. He owns it, his house. And anybody ever heard say, my house, my rules? Makes it pretty plain, doesn't it? I hope you're not living to suit me. I hope you're not obeying the word of God so I won't get on to you. Really, it ain't a whole lot of my business because you're not my house. You're his house and it's his rules. Why don't we commit right now? We're not going to have an upfront altar service because of the, the virus, but where we are, Jana's going to sing and why don't we dedicate ourselves again? Why don't we dedicate this fourth house that God wants to live in? Why don't we dedicate that we're going to build a place where he's welcome anytime? We're going to build a place where he can bring anybody to us and they can feel the presence of God because we're going to be his tabernacle. Let's dedicate to be his house today. In the name of Jesus. God bless.